Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for okay, February 21st, 2000. How's everybody doing out there? Only one more month of this thing we call winter. Thank God. It's just dragging on and on and on and on and on. Coming up very shortly. I was talking to Jay Allen today via text message. Uh, very shortly, we're coming up to season number four of the uh, show. Who would have thought? There were 300 uh, episodes here for you to see some. We got a whole bunch of new listeners out there, uh, people I've been interacting with. What's nice is that when now when I get home from field work, it's still light out a little bit. I got to see people who I haven't seen all year. Just now, it's my hand, and they're out walking their dog, walking the neighborhood, doing their thing. My four-legged furry friends are, were very happy to see me today. It's funny, I'm one of those people that gets to know the dogs before I get to know people. It's one of those things. I don't know. I like animals. So, uh, where we've been, I've uh, been handling a lot of prices out there, uh, not created by me. Uh, so, I got a job this past week from a client who's interested in doing business in the United States. And well, I had to do a little bit of an intro to OSHA thing with them. And uh, I'm probably going to be uh, doing that as a podcast here, as an episode, right? I might, it may, it may be one of those things that I go and I show one time and then I'll, won't show it again because uh, that's just the way it is. I know Jay Allen was talking about on the Radar Safety Show, giving away things for free. And, you know, there's an argument to be made for that because I tell you what, a lot of this human organizational performance stuff came from the uh, uh, Department of Energy. It's open source on their on, on a lot of their research. There's been oh, other research done on this. So it's all out there in the public domain anyway. If you're a U.S. taxpayer, you paid for it. But a lot of times things are packaged a little bit differently, a little bit uniquely. And, I, and if you're a regular listener, you know, I often don't pull any punches with things. And tonight is going to be one of those nights that I don't pull any punches. We get stuff sent to us all the time by listeners. And a lot of it's like, well, well, that's good. That's good. And you know, I really can't go into this. But on this one, I was like, you know, I should go into this because... Uh, it's like this. We work here at Safety FM. I mean, all of the podcasters and hosts and everything else. We work with a lot of organizations where people get hired to do work for. And these organizations get the hop stuff going on. But then, and then you get this. You get the senior level people at that organization Get the hop presentation. I know that they did do. All right. And then when they go and back to their organizations, we're not, we understand here. Organizational change takes a long time. My experience, minimum three to five years. 
organizational change. But a lot of these folks are getting the information on human and organizational performance like 10 years ago. And I do understand that often this uh, safety stuff is transient, meaning you get promoted into the health and safety stuff for whatever reason. And then you're there for two or three or four years, especially in the organization we're going to talk about tonight. And then you move on to something else. And basically, uh, you get, you know, some joke people jokingly say you get promoted to the highest level of your incompetence. Now, that's a joke. But oftentimes, okay, I'm not a safety professional. I'm going to be put into the position of a, as a safety professional. Very little training, very little knowledge. I might be a great engineer. I might be a great scientist. I might be a great whatever. But now I get thrown into this thing. And for new folks in the safety field that are listeners or viewers, how long does it take you to learn that craft? It's not automatic. It's not, boom, boom, we're going to learn it. It takes years. And often, safety is seen as a non-money-making position. Your overhead. So a lot of organizations, even the larger ones, do not put a lot of money and time or anything into professional development. Or the other people are involved. I mean, even Todd Conklin in uh, on uh, the uh, uh, him and Jay Allen and other people from this network were at a huge uh, global safety conference in Australia. Uh, he even shares a story where a guy answered a phone during a, a class of his, uh, right? And he says, well, I, no, this is not as, it doesn't suck as bad as I thought was the comment. And that always gets, right? So you get people very down on safety because it's not presented right. Or you now people, uh, you know, how many times can you learn to use a ladder properly? Let's face it. Right. So they send people to send to training and, 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 and then Oh, it's a nightmare. I worked for, in an organization where people ha actually have post-traumatic stress disorders from eight-hour Haswapper courses. They refused my entire tenure there. They refused to go to eight-hour Haswapper courses because they were that hellish uh, with the presenter. But anyway, I digress. But let me go circle back. Again, I'm off in the weeds. Let me circle back here. So this organization has known about HOP for many years, but for whatever reason, it's not being adapted by the organization. And the safety uh, incident that we're going to read to you here is a prime example to that. So uh, we're going to take a brief uh, commercial break here, and then we're going to come back to you and with this story. I have to set it up a little bit. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Human error is normal. Human error is normal. Okay, so we're going to ask you here, and hold on here. I got yelled at for not doing this. You know, people comment. Here you go. Safety Wars is streaming now. Safetyfm.com. All right. So here we are. And so this organization sets up goals every year. And this is a very large organization. I'm not going to mention what it is. And here we have their uh, combined total recordable rate for this facility is zero less than 0 0.1. So we know what the total recordable rate is for in safety, and we know the calculation. If you're not sure what that is, you go and look it up. But basically, it's at averages all your incidents versus your work hours, and you come up with this rate. Now, when uh, this organization is famous for going out there and saying, you're a bad contractor, you're an unsafe contractor, you're an unsafe organization if you don't meet this predestined goal. And they also have predestined this goal. And then they say, on top of that, they have one of those uh, things that Sam Goodman always talks about, zero accidents, zero incidents, zero illnesses. They track this stuff all along. 
And what inevitably happens? They have a injury in January, right? And then you have to hear about that injury, and that becomes the focus of the whole organization's safety for the entire year. So they had one uh, recordable injury this year, and they're at 0.34. So now as if they have no more injuries this year, the 0.34 total recordable incident rate will inevitably go down. However, this organization, that doesn't happen because you got a lot of stuff going on here. And what the implication is, is that it's not a safe organization, at least when it comes to around to managing their people, managing their contractors, and the upper-level management managing the management of these facilities. And they're a company you've heard of. We'll leave it at that. So now the company right did not meet their goals so far, and now they're an unsafe company. Does that make sense? Now, here's my question for you. What is safety? I start out every one of my safety training classes, whether it's an outreach class, hazwopper class, fall protection class, confined space entry, any of the classes that we do here, and we're going we're talk, to talk about uh, defensive driving, too. That's a new offering from us we just developed uh, on defensive driving, was... Uh, with all this stuff going on, what is safety? This is essential. Is safety zero accidents, zero incidents, zero illnesses, zero whatever, zero, zero, zero. But, and then, therefore, the implication is if you have one accident, now, now you're unsafe. You're an unsafe, evil organization, bad apples and everything else. Or is safety capacity and resilience? The amount of stuff that you could do, the amount of safeguards you could put into place, the amount of procedures, things of that nature you could put into place, and your ability to adapt, resiliency. And unless you're dealing with uh, crazy people, and I'll, and uh, you know, Todd Conklin said it, you could catch it on the Jay Allen podcast, Jay Allen show on your favorite podcast platform. He had said, Every organization has psychopaths. If you don't know it, right? Sort of thing. No, well, we deal with psychopaths sometimes. I mean, I tell you what, we had incidents this week like you wouldn't believe uh, dealing with people. And, you know, we, we, could, we effectively deal with folk, those folks. And people don't want to get hurt, generally speaking. There are, uh, generally speaking, I can name, uh, uh, you know, and I'll drive people nuts. I can have a whole program on stories where I, we have people who went nuts and they wanted to get hurt. Well, one of the more famous stories I have is where a guy didn't like his work assignment for the next month. He was going to be doing something that would take about a month, month and a half. And the and it wasn't a very pleasant part of the job. So he said, you're going to give me another job. And Foreman says, no, this is the job that we have. This is what it is, blah, blah, blah. So you don't like it. He picked up a ball-peen hammer and smashed his own hand and broke it. You know. What do you do with that? Turned out to be a recordable. So, but anyway, they are, uh, no, we have people like that, but generally speaking, nobody wants to go to work to get hurt. Nobody want people want to get a good job, do a good job, get home, everything else. People are not that way here, uh, with some exceptions. But anyway, here we have a, I'm going to sanitize this one here, right? A confined space entry attendant left the confined space while personnel were still inside. Upon several individuals leaving the confined space, the attendant assumed that all entrants had exited the area and logged out, uh, logged everyone out of the space. Once completing the log, they left the area for lunch. However, there were three entrants still inside the space. I'm not going to mention what kind of space it is, but space. A short time later, the four remaining entrants exited the space right, to find out there was no confined space entry attendant. Now, what are the key lessons here? Entry, and again, this is the blame the worker situation. 
Entry and exit logs were not completed for the entrance, right? Worker badges were not collected upon entry and returned upon exit as required by the facility procedure. Now, my I put this out here to a couple of safety professionals. And what do you think they uh, said? And it was all of them. That GD worker, something along these lines, that GD worker, and that doesn't stand for good, should be fired for letting this happen. We got a bad apple. And I'm a little bit disappointed with this stuff here. Because all of these folks are regular listeners. All of these folks, I know that they are. All these folks know about human organizational performance. They know about all, okay, all, know all about this stuff. Now, you may say, well, that worker needs to be fired. And five years ago, six years ago, that's what I would have said. The worker is horrible, bad apple, don't know what they're doing, blah, 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 got to get rid of them. Ten, six years ago, I might not. Ten years ago, 15, I probably would have said the same thing. So let's put this into perspective. Now, when this ins- when this company reports this incident to everybody, this is what they put out. We have another one here. Right, another incident here that, that they sent me about this organization. And again, I'm not going to mention it because it's going to give the organization away. But it was like the same thing here. Blame the worker. Blame this. Blame that. The worker. The worker. The worker. We have right here in the safety world what is called the hierarchy of controls. Let's see if I could get that on the screen. We're familiar with what this is. It's from, well, we got it from, here, let's share this. We're familiar with this, the hierarchy of controls. And what is it? Uh, Let's get the right aspect here. All right, hierarchy of controls. On the top, you have, for you people who are listening at home, you have elimination. Uh, Here. This is right from the Centers for Disease Control website. Elimination, substitution, engineering controls, and administrative controls. Those are the hierarchy of controls. Right? We got expanded this. Now, what the idea here is this. The primary way that we try to eliminate con- eliminate hazards, so we have a hazard, and we're doing our hazard assessment, is to eliminate things, right? So you eliminate the hazard, substitute the hazard, meaning you replace the hazard, right, with a less dangerous hazard, less dangerous outcome, so, for example, my uh, the example I use is fall protection. People say, well, Jim, fall protection is PPE. Fall protection, uh, yeah, okay, great. But it's more of a substitution because you're still going to get hurt when you deploy fall protection. What, what the issue is is that rather than a fatality or broken bones, now you have back injury, Suspension trauma, or also known as orthostatic intolerance. Uh, you have all other things that may go on, that, but it's not a fatality, so you're substituting it. You have an engineering control. You're isolating people from the hazard. That's where your guarding comes in, engineering controls, things of that nature. Now you have the last two that we're going to talk about with this incident. We have administrative controls and personal protective equipment. If you look on the left-hand side of this uh, 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 schematic from the CDC, what do you have? The most effective, and then you have the least effective. What's the least effective means of controlling things is what? Administrative controls and PPE. Right? Now, 
those are the uh, now my question is this if you're going to be concerned about safety and making things real safe and everything else why would you rely solely on an administrative control and PPE administrative control change the way people work PPE protect the worker with personal protective equipment. Those are the two, the least effective means of managing anything. Why? What's an administrative control as a rule? Let me give you an example of a rule. One rule is that you have to go and Go do entry and exit logs on a permit required confined space, so you have accountability. Because in the regulation, it recall it doesn't say this exactly. Everyone uses different language, but the, in effect, you have to keep a log, a written log of who's in and who's out, or maybe another effective means. I've always argued for access control because we do have that technology. And this uh, facility, it's badges where they're handing out badges to people. Right, so you have an ID badge, and you hand that to the person. Now, now they give this. All right, well they weren't doing the. Now you're relying on the administrative controls. Now here are some of they have key lessons. Let's talk about key questions. Right, we're told the Socratic method. This is what. And if you're doing a root cause analysis, and I ceased calling them root cause analysis, because what do you think my question is when I ask folks when I'm doing the accident investigation, especially if they're a new client? They say, well, Jim, we need to do an accident investigation. Well, okay, great. We're doing an accident investigation. They say, well, we want to do, we use taproot analysis or root cause analysis. What do you think my next question is? Do you want a root cause analysis or do you want a root cause analysis? Well, you know, you know what I mean by that. Oh, well, Jimmy, I don't know. Uh, you know. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the root cause analysis. My question is this. Entry and exit logs are not completed for the entrance. Why weren't they complete? They might have been not complete for a good reason. One, do you supply your confined space entry attendants with pens that work? Where's What kind of log-in and log-out do you have? Is it that cheap El Cheapo carbon copy paper that you folks are handing out? Or is it something else that when you use a pen on it, it destroys it? So is it aggravating? Is it not very ergonomic? Do they have a clipboard? Did you supply them a clipboard to your employee? So do the attendant so they could do that? Guess what? Often doesn't happen. Did that attendant have 30 or 40 people in that space that they had to keep track of? Did that attendant have a lot of traffic coming in and out of that space? Or you maybe you need two attendants. Was there one more than one entrance there? Did that attendant go and start screaming in there? Hey, is everybody out of there? Did that happen? And if if that attendant did do that, were the people willing to answer that, or were they like, like, oh, f it, we just have a couple more minutes here, blah blah blah, and then an auditor came through and they said, well, I don't know where the attendant, that damn attendant, not here, I don't know. Okay, those are all things not asked, answered in this document here. And I, I'm sure everybody here could, I mean, we have thousands of listeners. I'm sure that we can come out with more things. Okay, now, worker badges are not collected upon entry and return upon exit as required by the facility procedure. Now, here's a question for you, right? Here's a question. Okay, you have a badge here. Okay, here's your badge, right? There's a GoPro camera. Use that as a prop. Here's the badge. What ha I've been on sites 
where they had a problem with people's badges getting lost when you hand it to the confined space entry attendant. And then that badge is used for access control all over. Let's say you're going to be in that space for three, four, five hours, not unheard of on a shutdown or more. What if that, what if that badge, all right, you're afraid of that badge getting stolen and handed off to somebody else for nefarious reasons. That could happen. Again, this is a shutdown with thousands of people there. Hundreds, if not thousands of people. You don't know everybody. You would like to think that no one's going to do something funky with those badges. What if those atten- that, that uh, attendant was there and asked the guys for the badges and they give her, they're from New Jersey, they give someone and they show them the state bird or the, give them the state salute. Think that happens? Yeah, that happens all the time. So now, let's talk about the worker. And and Sam Kinison, the old comedian, had you know a punchline in one of his jokes. I'll clean it up. How the bleep did you get this job? That's not against the worker, by the way. Why, how did the worker get the job? Was it through nepotism? I go into this when I do a say when I do an accident investigation. How long have you had the job? What is your training on the job? What's your education level? Where's your calibration logs? Who's handling the calibration? All of these things get going to a per, uh, a confine. Where's your uh, where's your training certificate? And then I call up on the phone. I say, hey, dude, did you train this person? Is this person in your system? More than one time, person never received training to do that. So did this person have training? Did this person get awareness level training and not the full-blown confined space entry training? Do they have an industrial hygiene background? Do they know anything about, uh, how's this? They have to have an OSHA outreach training certificate. Is that a legitimate OSHA outreach training certificate? Right? Did the company pay for that? And we're and Now you're saying, well, Jim, this is the worker. We're going to be done with the worker in a second here. All right. Next one. All right. How did the company get the job? Was it by competitive bid? Lowest bidder? Or was it the lowest qualified bidder? Or was it the qualified bidder? Or was it because you took the owner of that company, went out and uh, took uh, the, uh, the management from the other company to a baseball game the year before? Did they make some? Did the owner of that company uh, make some phone calls on behalf of one of the company managers whose granddaughter was going into a university that this guy was an alumni from? How about uh, uh, they're a new company and they don't have a site a history, but they have a total recordable incident rate of one. Because they're no or zero, or I'm sorry, experience modification rate of one because they're a new company. They got the thing, but you know, hey, this what well, we know them. We got people have experience. What kind of training does the company provide to the people? Is there a uh, test that they can fa- actually fail? How about background check? Did the person? Pass a background check. In the oil industry, like this is from, yeah, they probably did. They had a trick card uh, thing. But trick card only is like with federal crimes and high-level crimes. How about the minor ones? A whole bunch of petty thefts. A whole bunch of petty crimes. What's the demeanor? Did you actually interview this person who was doing the job? Or did they just go, hey, we need to throw a body out there. Hey, here's a meter. Read the meter. Blah, blah, blah. And blah, blah, blah. Do they un- actually understand what they're looking at here? This is all management's issue. They put someone possibly that is not well-equipped or well-versed as a confined space entry intended. No experience on that. That's not the worker's fault. If they don't have the resources or anything or the authority 
maybe these guys gave her this person the bird walked in and the person has no authority on the job how about the four workers that went into that that didn't hand in their ids oh now we're expanding things what were this their training what's their management like all that goes into that so how do they get the job how do they do do they understand how to use the equipment were they trained to use the equipment as a legitimate training? Uh, how about the incentives? Maybe they had a pro issue like this before. They reported it to their uh, management. The management said, well, I, hey, we're not going to be here to store tr start trouble. We got another shutdown at another facility. Word's going to get around, blah, 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 blah. How's that? Does the management actually oversee their own employees? How's that? Whoever the confined space entry attendant company is, usually that's third party at this in this situation. Who do, do they do management? How long of, was that person on that job that day? Were they a new employee? First time as an attendant? You're putting them into an impossible situation. Uh, do you, is that person uh, expected to stay there? For five or six hours at a time without a bathroom break? Oh, yeah, that happens. So I've seen that happen. Person has to go to the bathroom. Guess what? Now, well, that's a management issue. Are you rotating employees? Are you rotating them so they don't get friendly with the workforce? So maybe they don't, they can uh, better manage this and follow the rules. No. All of this stuff, root cause analysis, and all this stuff points to not the worker. Yeah, the worker, yeah, we talked a lot about. But what about the management managing them? Did they make it clear? Rules. Were they aware of the rules? Did you communicate the rules? Uh, you know, what What you had to do. I know when I uh, give confined space entry training for attendance, guess what? They get a sign-off sheet, sign sheet where... These are what the regulations are. That way, there's no question that they were not uh, that they were told whether what the rules were. Did they do that? Uh, you know, again, this uh, facility point says, "Well, attendant, attendant, attendant." I say, management, 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 not doing their job. What was the incentive that they were working under? Oh, we're in a big hurry. We're in a big hurry. We're in a big hurry. Blah 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 blah. We're in a big hurry. Well, guess what? You have that sort of thing, attitude. That's where you're going to have a problem come up. And who's communicating that? And why are they blaming the worker? I can tell you. At this facility, uh, they're, uh, the owners, if it's still this way there, but for years it was uh, that way with this uh, facility, that the uh, management's end-of-the-year bonus was uh, tied and was impacted by the total recordable incident rate. All right, so now you have these folks, we call used to call them the traveling roadshow, now directly impacting your bonus at the end of the year. All in there. Again, that's a management problem. So I want you to go home and think about it. In hindsight, what are we doing? Why are we relying on administrative controls and PPE, right? Or hazards rather than elimination of substitution engineering. What's what are the controls? Let me circle back around that for a minute. What are the controls on the confined space? If you're relying on that worker there being doing their job right, and that's your only control, you're gonna fail. People will die, people will get hurt. So what do we have? We have a lot of stuff. We have training. When you're going into this particular confined space, you have an electrical disconnect. You have lockout, tagout. You have double block and bleed and physical disconnect, creating an air gap of all things going into that confined space. You have a, a clean out that's going to eliminate all of the uh, all of the uh, 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 toxic potential for toxic and hazardous materials in there. Uh, if you are doing something that adds an atmospheric hazard, you're going to have ventilation. You have all the PPE that's in there. You have a lot of different things going on with uh, in there, and that all adds to the safety. So if one thing fails, now you have a backup. 
So you've eliminated all the hazards here, right? You've eliminated all the hazards for that space. You issued a confined space entry permit. All the hazards are eliminated. The checklists are done. Assessments are done. My question is this. What mode of work was the person in? Were they no, rules-based mode? Were they not lack of knowledge-based mode? Or were they skills-based mode? My guess is that there are new people that are probably in the rules-based mode, right? And they're, uh, uh, they're in the rules-based mode versus skills-based mode, not experienced. And this could be used as a learning event. Nobody was really at ha because they have all these controls in here, nobody was really in danger of anything. Should they attend the left? No. But we had all these other controls that were in here too. So just think about it and we will uh, go from there. Thanks a lot. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. In an unpredictable world, one voice rises above the chaos. Meet Jim Pozel, a seasoned safety expert who's navigated through some of the most dangerous scenarios from anthrax, explosive cleanups, disasters, and numerous environmental cleanups, and lived to tell the tale. Now, he's bringing his wealth of knowledge, insights, and experiences to you through Safety Wars. From workplace hazards to the hidden dangers in your own home, Jim covers it all. With his engaging storytelling and expert analysis, Safety Wars isn't just a podcast. It's your guide to a safer world. Join Jim Polzel and become part of the Safety Wars revolution. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Safety Wars, your safety is our mission. So uh, that took longer than I thought here uh, going into that. Uh, but that's fine. I mean, we had to say that. Uh, we're going to talk about, there's our hierarchy of controls. Okay, we're going to talk about the OSHA uh, news, right? So they had two press releases come out today. All right, one with, a, and just for complete disclosure, uh, I know who this other for, uh, firm is here, uh, uh, here. So, uh, so the U.S. Department of Labor, this uh, press release was from yesterday. U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA's had cited steel fabrication business after finding the company willfully exposed workers to safety and health hazards at its Millville shop. OSHA issued citations for willful and seven serious violations against a certain company of proposed $348,000 plus in penalties. The agency's investigation began on July 26, 2023 in response to a complaint. Uh, here's a quote. A few months before our inspection, uh, the company hired a safety consultant. This is a quote here from OSHA Area Direction Director Paula Dixon-Roderick out of the Marlton uh, area office. 
uh, to identify it. So the uh, company hired a safety consultant who identified multiple safety and health hazards at the fabrication shop. However, the company failed to correct the hazards. Now, employers are legally obligated to provide a safe and healthful workplace for all workers. That is the general duty clause. And uh, the company is family-owned and operated, blah, 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 blah. Now, this is where you get, my question is this. All right. How did OSHA find out? Who did the reporting? Was it an employee? Was it the consultant that they brought in who may not have gotten paid? That happens. I've heard of that already. Or a consultant that just saw stuff so egregious that they felt compelled to do it, right, uh, to do it. Now, there's a, a couple of ways you can handle this. If you, so, hmm. let's say, and I've heard this from different attorneys, if you are a company and you are deciding to hire a safety consultant to come in and look at things, Guess what? You have to be willing to hear and listen, and you have to be willing to take their advice. I'm not saying necessarily implement it because I know some safety professionals go overboard. They often try to upsell people. But if it's a legal requirement, you're really supposed to do it. I don't know. So uh, these things, right? Now, the other thing is this, right? For willful... How did they find out about that for Willful? Was that in a report that was open for discovery by somebody? So, for example, OSHA is allowed to interview your employees. They don't, the employees don't have to be interviewed, but they're allowed to, you know, in there. And they still have a fifth, a fourth, a fifth and sixth amendment right, right, dealing with uh, OSHA. They don't have to answer. I assume. that may not be a very successful strategy, but you don't have to. Uh, then, then one of the employees say, "Hey, oh yeah, we had this guy come in and uh, blah 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 blah. He sold us this, 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 and this." And then they say, "Well, okay, great. I, I'd love to know how this happens." So, here we go: the issued citations and the usual front matter here, and abatement form. Citation one, item one, right? And it doesn't say here how. Nope. Okay. So here, sorry for freaking you people out on the video here. Citation one, item one, type of violation serious. 29 CFR 1910-106. Category water to flammable liquids. We don't see this one cited too often on these press releases. Or category three flammable liquids with a flash point below 100 degrees Fahrenheit where it's dispensed into containers without the nozzle or container being in electrically interconnected. So the employer did not ensure that a 55-gallon drums of a certain coating, uh, a class two flammable, were grounded when dispensing flammable liquids because there could be a static electric discharge, right? Because you have flowing fluid going through a nozzle or something like that. And what happens is as the liquid goes over it, you strip off electrons from the surface of this potentially. And now with these free electrons, they got to go somewhere. They cause a spark and now you have a fire. $6,453. Now, how much does one of those grounding uh, things cost? You can get a real fancy one now. A couple hundred bucks max if you go for the real fancy one. Not so fancy one, ah, 20 bucks. Here we have citation one, item 2A. The alleged violations will have been grouped because they involve similar or related hazards. Here we have, uh, that may increase potential or potential, so citation one, item 2A, respirator standard, 1910-134. Respirators with tight-fitting face fuses were worn by employees who had facial hair that came between the ceiling surface of the face fuse and the face, or that interfered with the valve function. 
that uh, this is an employee who was provided and required to wear a certain respirator half face was not clean shaven to ensure a sealing surface between the face and the face piece. That's again, these are all proposed citations. They may be litigated, uh, litigated, uh, uh, vacated, negotiated downward, right? Or upward. Uh, 48, right? So again, this is, you might say, well, the worker wasn't clean shaven. Yeah, but the, the uh, <laughs> uh, client was not enforcing rules. And our previous thing, my question is this. That's probably not the first time that happened with the IDs. Guess what? Was this allowed behavior? Was this encouraged? I don't know. Now, how are you going to bait this? Probably what I would do is make sure that every employee who has to wear a respirator would sign a affidavit saying that they were told that they had to be clean shaven. That's often what I do uh, in these situations. Citation on item 2B, this is, again, respirator standard. The employer did not ensure that each employee could demonstrate knowledge of why the respirator was necessary, how it properly fit, uses storage, maintenance, etc. On or about July 26, the employer did not ensure that each employee provided and required to wear a respirator, including but not limited to the respirator in question and a powered air purifying respirator was trained and could demonstrate knowledge on fit usage maintenance of the respirator. Again, this is a training issue. And I'm going to say this, how did they get the job? Does the employee have the aptitude to answer that question or the demeanor? Here we have a nervous Nelly here that when a, uh, I had one a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, for uh, uh, training. The guy was a nervous Nelly, and I said to the client, I said, dude, this guy shouldn't be doing X, Y, y and Z. Why? He's in a nervous wreck. Does he like that all the time? Because if he's in a nervous wreck, I can tell you what, this might not be a good match for him. Or maybe there's something else going on. Can you find him a different assignment? Right? And the client said, yeah, you know, you know what? You're right. Uh, he's a good guy. Let's find a different spot for him. Okay, great. Here we have another one. Citation one, item three. 29 CFR 1910-179. The following items uh, were not inspected for defects and intervals as defined in uh, J12 of this section. Specifically indicated, including observation during operation for any defects, which might appear between regular inspections. And we're talking about hoists here. Not inspected, right? So the hoist, I always tell people, inspect them like once a year by a third party, especially the big ones here, right? This is a three-ton hoist. And also a daily inspection prior to use uh, done by uh, preferably some kind of competent person. That was $6,453. Citation one, item four, Listener label electrical equipment was not used or installed in accordance with instructions, including uh, included in list in the listing or labeling. So circuit breakers are being used as a switch to turn lights on and power off in the building without being rated as a uh, SWD. I'm not sure what that is. So it was forty eight hundred bucks. So rather than a light bulb, I'm sorry, a light switch, for example, the center light switch, they were just going over the circuit panel and started flipping those things back and forth. That could, in itself could be dangerous. Those are only to be used, for example, for occasional use. You're going to turn it on, you're going to turn it off, blah, blah, blah. If you're turning it on and off all the time, uh, eventually something is going to break because it wasn't designed for that, number one. Uh, it's not hitting some type of a uh, rating here. That's not rated for that kind of uh, situation. They got 4,800 bucks i think installing a couple of light switches is less than that i might be wrong citation one item 5a type of violation serious this is a hascom situation uh a container lot labeled eight thousand sixty seven dollars citation one item 5b no safety data sheets that was a serious violation with zero dollars and i know I know these two uh, paints. You uh, they so 
when you have uh, a part B, uh, that is an epoxy, part of epoxy coating, part A and part B. And part B is uh, corrosive often, and that is uh, curing, right, uh, for this. Uh, Zero dollars. Citation two, item one, 1910-134. This is a big one, willful serious. $69,140, and it was from no medical monitoring. So we went into this multiple times on this show uh, where that's critical. Why? Uh, again, with those imitation respirators during COVID, we had a situation where I saw someone have a seizure-ridden one. Was one had have been medically cleared for that? So that's with that kind. With this kind, definitely with a regular half-face respirator, that is critical. $69,140. Citation to item two. Uh, inspections on hoists, that's $82,964. Citation to item three, uh, workers and other uh, persons adjacent to the welding area were not protected from the rays by non-combustible or flame-proof screens or shields. Uh, employees were not utilizing welding screens in the welding area. Again, that's a very common thing. My brother John got hit in the face with an arc flash from a uh, arc weld. It was not fun. He sat in the dark for four days with his eyes infected. His eyes actually got infected from it. It was horrible. Uh, sat in the dark with sunglasses on. Couldn't even watch TV. And, uh, citation to item for another willful serious. Uh, no Hascom training. 82964 for a grand total of $348,683. Gotta love it. It would have been cheaper to just go along and do what you need to do. This is from a uh, Braintree, uh, Massachusetts. This is also a company that I believe we have. Uh, uh, I've worked with them, I believe, uh, here. Yes, I have done work with this company. Yes. <laughs> when was this issued? 2-8. Okay, so after the 15 days, going to come up. Well, heard of one company, worked with this company on a project already. Citation one, item one, the employer did not initiate and maintain programs which provided for frequent and regular inspections of the job site by a competent person. So this is uh, employees are exposed to multiple fall hazards, eye and head injuries because the employer did not provide frequent and regular inspections by a competent person. $7,098. Citation two, item one, willful serious fall protection violations. Uh, people uh, six foot or higher. This is a construction company. They had multiple, uh, multiple things cited. And this was $70,982, willful. Citation to item two. Here we have another uh, fall protection requirements. No competent person. So the employer does not have a program to ensure compliance with fall protection requirements and does not designate any competent person to ensure that workers use appropriate fall protection. To abate the sign, the employer must initiate and maintain a program of fall protection. 70,982. Citation to item 3A, portable ladder problems. Uh, did not extend ladders above a wall, uh, extension ladder three foot or above the landing surface. Almost $71,000. Citation two, item 3B, willful serious. Employees using ladders for carrying objects or those that could cause the employer to lose balance and fall. Again, bags, equipment bags. A, that was zero on there, but this was a willful. And repeat, they multiple instances here of this. Citation three, item one. They just pinned them for willful. Repeat serious. 
Uh, no hard hats. Fourteen thousand one ninety-five. Citation three, item two. No safety glasses. No face protection. Thirty-five thousand. That was a willful repeat series. Multiple uh, incidents. Next one was scaffolding. Not erected or trained or anything uh, by, under the direction of a confident person. Multiple times, $35,488. Citation 3 and I, item 3B, repeat serious. Here we have a uh, pre-fall on a scaffold more than 10 feet. We're not protected from falling to a lower level. This one was $0. Citation 3, item 3C, type of violation serious. Ladders used to support the ladder jack scaffold did not meet requirements of whatever. Again, they were uh, cited multiple times for this uh, here. Uh, allegedly. Zero dollars. And citation 3, item 3D, another zero dollars, which was a... Again, ladders out of spec, not being used properly. And the rest were zero. And uh, another one, uh, other than serious, not uh, providing records within four business hours, 1,014. For a grand total of 306,229. Gotta, you know, I don't know. Stop breaking the law. Uh, no, I guess. So uh, we're going to be wrapping things up here. We hope to be on the air tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then uh, probably Friday. Uh, let us get our outro. You have an intro, you got to have an outro. And we will be seeing you uh, tomorrow. Have a great day. In this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.